Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Friday, everybody. Today we're going to take another look at the upcoming eclipses that we're going to be receiving in the signs of Aries and Libra starting in 2023. Yesterday we sort of opened up the conversation by exploring some of the archetypal parameters of the eclipses. Uh, today we are going to continue that conversation, uh, but we are going to look at the kinds of topics that will be activated by virtue of which houses the eclipses are falling in. So this is something like whole sign house horoscopes uh, for the upcoming eclipses. We're going to be doing them two at a time. So Aries, Libra, Taurus, Scorpio, Gemini, Sag, just to get to know those that axis of two houses and the kinds of topics simultaneously activated. And uh, But it should be useful in terms of preparing you for you know, what kinds of topics and themes areas of life will be um, stirred up by the eclipses in the year ahead. So um, before we get into it today, as always, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you haven't yet, if you're new to the channel, nice to meet you. Um, you share your comments, it helps the algorithm. So appreciate you guys for doing that. Transcripts of any of my daily talks can be found on the website, nightlightastrology.com. As you guys know, we are also in the midst of pushing to reach our annual Kickstarter goal. We are trying to rally the support of 1,608 backers from our YouTube audience to support this channel and uh, support me, my staff in the year ahead. Uh, as you guys know, a lot of time and love and um, care goes into the production of uh, writing and recording these talks every single day, five days a week, year round. Uh, right now, we are closing in on 500 backers. So we're almost like a third of the way there. We have about 23 days left to go. A big thank you to everybody who has already donated. If you haven't yet, you can find the link in the description of this video or in the comments section. Um, and when you go over to the Kickstarter page, um, pick a reward. You can donate and receive um, a reward. Uh, lots of different things that we have going on. We have um, an astrological calendar that we've made, astrology of 2023 video special. I'm not releasing that anywhere else. A bunch of different talks for students of astrology, year ahead horoscope reading for your sun or rising sign. You can get like your horoscope for the whole year ahead. Um, that's probably one of those popular rewards that people choose. Um, there's also, you know, a, a podcast series I'm doing in the fall called The Oracle Speaks that's exclusive through the Kickstarter, and it's about developing a relationship with an oracle, whether you're a tarot reader or an astrologer or any kind of diviner. This is going to be a great series on how we get better at what we do by developing a relationship with the oracle, which is a whole area of astrology that's not often explored. It's often neglected in favor of just talking about technique all the time. So that's a series that I'm releasing exclusively in the fall for Kickstarter backers. Also, there's a mini reading for the year ahead, some horary readings. And then of course, the best deal are my classes. You can um, pick up any of my, um, any of my online classes are 50% off. So I have four programs that are one year long. And then I have another uh, five that are one year long. We have year one, uh, year two programs, ancient astrology for the modern mystic uh, certification programs. And then there's the horary program. There is the uh, masterclass series, roots and spheres, readings and passages, all sorts of rich content. If you want to learn more about any of those classes before signing up through the Kickstarter, you can go to nightlightastrology.com, my website, and learn more about them. If you have any questions about the programs after you look through them, email us, info at nightlightastrology.com. We're glad to talk to you about any of the courses. But the best deal we have is you can bundle four of my classes together, and that takes the price down per class to almost 75% off. You could also gift one of those, and you can take them anytime. You could take them in 2023, 24, 25, and you don't have to take them all at once. You can spread them out. So they're uh, vouchers to use on any of the programs whenever you want. And that is just a way of saying thank you 
for supporting the channel. Our big goal this year, if we reach our total backer goal, we are fairly sure we'll be able to launch a donation-based reading service for people, um, which will provide uh, affordable readings for people um, who otherwise couldn't afford one. So that is, you know, you're, when you pitch in, you're supporting the channel and my staff, but you're also supporting a lot of good things that we're trying to do. I really appreciate you guys. It's a real privilege to be able to make content for you uh, year in and year out. This is my ninth year doing it. I would not be here having a family um, and a career as an astrologer if it weren't for people like you who value this and say, I get something out of this, so I'm going to pitch in five bucks or 10 bucks or or more and pick up one of the rewards that we have. All right. Well, anyway, thank you guys uh, very much. And let's get into it. I am... Um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about these eclipses. And as you saw yesterday in yesterday's video, which I recommend watching if you haven't seen it yet, because it'll really put this together with the, today's video, you'll get a really well-rounded picture of the upcoming eclipses. But um, what we wanna talk about today are the kinds of things that tend to happen when uh, eclipses fall in the set of houses that they fall in in your birth chart. So. What do the eclipses look like for people who are Aries or Libra rising? We're going to do them in pairs. Now, before I get into that, I want to say a few things about the difference between the North and the South node. In modern evolutionary astrology, the North node of the moon is often associated with you know, something like a series of lessons that you are here to learn and grow from. And, you know, maybe... Uh, like your evolutionary homework, it is some is sometimes described as. And the south node will be like maybe your gifts from past lives, but also the place that you tend to regress or get stuck. Okay, so that is not the view that ancient astrologers had of the nodes of the moon. It's not the one that I use. And more power to you if you use that um, that particular approach to the nodes of the moon. But that approach to looking at the nodes of the moon is new. It, it is a, um, an invention of modern astrology. And so when you look back at the way that ancient astrologers looked at the nodes, whether it's in Indian astrology or in ancient Hellenistic astrology, all the way up through the Persian, medieval astrologers, Renaissance astrologers, they did not look at it like the North Node is what you ought to go do and the South Node is what you ought to get away from um, or whatever version of the uh, evolutionary theory that you prefer. However, you you know, th there's a lot of different ways of um a lot of different metaphors and images can be used to describe it. But generally, it's like North Node, go do that, develop that, evolve in that direction. South Node, thank you for the gifts, but I'm also can't get hung up on you any longer. That's the basic paradigm of modern evolutionary astrology with the nodes. Ancient astrologers did not take that view. One of the rewards I'm offering in this year's Kickstarter is a video on the nodes of the moon in ancient astrology. If you wanted like a deep dive, several hour lecture on the topic, you could pick that up. But I'll give you the brief like cliff note here. So the gist of it is that the North Node was related to increase for good or bad, and the South Node was related to decrease for good or bad. These are the nodes of the moon, and the moon was the lady of fortune, the, the ruler of fortune. Fortune, what is fortune? It is nothing more than the constant fluctuation of events and circumstances. Uh, in a kind of Taoist way, in a, in a sort of Taoist manner, it is the way in which Life fills our cup and then the cup is emptied. And what is emptied gets full and what is full gets emptied. It is the constant vacillation uh, and alternation of opposites in the world that we live in, uh, none of which are bad or evil. They're just part of the world, light and dark, daytime and nighttime, good and evil, up and down, hot and cold, etc. 
So the moon was the planet most intimately associated with the uh, changing nature of fortune and therefore the progenitor of uh, predictive astrology. Like moon is sort of the planet of horary astrology. Um, specifically because the moon's latitude is always changing. It lifts up above the ecliptic, drops down below the ecliptic. And as it does so, it's always taking on light and then shedding it off. Its faces are always changing. It moves most quickly and is therefore most changeable and fast moving of all the planets in ancient astrology. So the moon is related to fortune, the world that we live in, the unfolding dramas and the reality of impermanence change. You can't put your foot in the same river twice. That's the moon. Uh, beautiful, beautiful aspect of re the reality that we live in, the material energy, such beautiful, uh, it's beautiful to behold nature, right? It's also, uh, at times, you can easily get lost in it. So there's two sides to the moon traditionally. One is, hey, you know, um, can you see reflected, like the moon is a reflective light, within the material world that we live in, the archetypal forms of eternity, including the very soul and that, that lives in and inhabits the temple of the body? Are you aware of the eternal within the temporary, within the, the material um, flux? And that's an important question because a reflective lifestyle, a contemplative lifestyle that sees the eternal reflected in the tr transformations of energy in the world, that is an alchemical uh, virtue of the moon. Now, on the other hand, if you get lost in this world and you are unaware of the fact that um, something eternal is happening in and through something temporary and you get fixated on the temporary and lost in it, then you would be under the intoxicating delusions of Maya, also reflected in some of the ancient symbolism of the moon. So it's uh, the moon has this very special role to play. Now, the head and tail of the dragon are going to reflect long periods of um, long periods of karma. Karma being nothing more than the flux and change and uh, mysterious chains of actions and reactions in this world of fortune. So karma sort of is fortune. Well, the nodes of the moon, the nodes of the moon are reflective of long periods of lunar cycles. Lunar cycles also being defined by the relationship between the sun and the moon. So the eternal and the temporary or the, you know, the spiritual and the material, both sacred, both divine, both perfect and beautiful, but their interpenetrating relationship and the way that that relationship uh, brings about all of the... Uh, karmic adventures that we have in the world uh, reflected by these cycles of the nodes. So it, it is um, it is true that there's something deeply karmic about the nodes, but that's true of every single planet in ancient astrology and the entire birth chart itself. They're not The nodes are not any more or less karmic than anything else in the chart from an ancient standpoint. Uh, they're not more any more or less a part of the fate or journey of the soul than anything else in the chart. So first of all, the privileging of the nodes in modern astrology is problematic in that from that pr perspective because it tends to grant them a lot more significance and importance than they actually have. Um, the second thing is that not that you can't fall in love with using some symbols and as interpretive tools, some tools are more like user-friendly than others. Like some practitioners really love working with asteroids and fixed stars. And I mean, all different eras have had different um, 
you know, prognosticating tools that people have gravitated toward, toward. And so the gravitation toward using the nodes in interpretation and theory doesn't bother me at all. It's the idea that is when it becomes dogma, that they are more important than everything else in the chart, more karmic than everything else in the chart. That is simply not true. Now, what, what do the nodes of the moon represent though? The nodes of the moon are going to, again, increase for good or bad, decrease for good or bad. Because they're connected fundamentally to the material world and to the moon, they are related to long cycles, nine and 18 year cycles of, of change. Change again being what the moon reflects, change or karma or fortune. Now, um, the north node of the moon reflects the rising up of things in, uh, in the realm of fortune. Okay, but when we say it could be rising up or gaining for good or bad, what is meant by that? Well, for example, uh, I always use this example to explain. You don't want a tumor to grow, you, but you'd like your bank account to grow. Or you would like to see gains in the gym, or you'd like to grow your knowledge of a subject that you're learning, but you don't want to see you know, an ego growing or getting inflated. I mean, most of us don't want that. I hope. So, so you get what I mean? Now, the south node of the moon is going to be related to the natural way in which things decline, deteriorate, or tend toward entropy or falling apart, or things are diminished. So, for example, and that could be for good or bad. For example, you don't want your bank account to shrink, but you do want the tumor to shrink. So you could think of it as expansion and contraction a little. You could also think about it as gain and loss but remember that it's relative because the world of fortune itself was perceived by ancient astrologers as relative. And so the fluctuations indicated by the nodes of the moon speak to the relative rise and fall of our fortune. Okay. So now that means that when you are interpreting the nodes of the moon, for example, when they are placed or paired with various planets in the in the natal chart like your natal signatures not we're talking now about the transiting nodes and the eclipses they're going to create and where they're going to land in your chart but let's just say that you were looking at the natal placement of the nodes it's a little different the natal placement of the nodes by house may describe you know an an area in life where it's like there's a river that's flowing through the chart uh, a river of karma <clears throat> And where the north node is located in your birth chart, you can see something like the tides moving in that direction in a little bit more of a Jupiterian kind of way. It's like a, a place where things tend to grow and proliferate, but possibly according to desire and lust and hunger and greed, as much as it could be that things are growing because of good luck or success or, or things are growing that make you happy. You have to read it in a very... Uh, much more nuanced way than people are going to be used to at, at first when they get to know the ancient perspective anyway. Uh, for example, the north node of the moon is conjoined with Lance Armstrong's natal Mars. And, you know, that you could very easily see as someone who has this kind of uh, amplification of Mars themes in his life, including competition and sports and athletics, but also steroids. You know, so he... He cheated in professional sports and got really big and strong as a result. So was the result favorable? Yeah, I mean, it helped him win a lot, but it was also 
it was also something that, uh, you know, was complicated because there was a greed and a lust behind it. Now, the Indian astrologers were keenly aware of this uh, relative nature of the nodes as well, which is why Rahu is often associated, that's the north node, is often associated with gain and success, but also sometimes a sort of ruthlessness and the shadow of lust. Whereas the south node, K2, is associated with diminishment and decline of worldly things, but sometimes that means the amplification of spiritual or otherworldly things. But that could be good or bad as well. For example, the south node of the moon is, I've seen implicated more times than I can count in either suicides or drug addiction, uh, because there's a, a way in which it tends to push people away from the world or the body, which could also send someone to an ashram. So it's it's they're very relative because they're they're sp inherently speaking to the way that gain or loss is experienced in the world. How many times do people grow more spiritual because they lose something? So there's associations made with spirituality and the south node of the moon, but a lot of that has to do with the diminishment of material things. Anyway, uh, point being that the north node and south node are connected to rises and falls in fortune, and you have to read what planet they're with, what houses they're in, in a pretty sophisticated way, or at least not a just a, like a cookie cutter way, right? In order to grasp what kinds of gains or losses and whether those gains or losses are sort of helpful or harmful. And that's not only is that nuanced within the birth chart, but it's incredibly nuanced when you start dealing with the transiting nodes in the birth chart or transits to the nodes from other planets in the birth chart. So Anyway, I hope that that helps everyone just kind of grok like that's why it's why it is very hard to make horoscopes about, you know, general horoscopes without looking at the birth chart at all for, you know, massive amounts of people. The best thing you can do is sort of lay down the topics of the house pairings and say, look, you know, let's let's look at what's going to tend where the amplification is and where the volume's being turned down or where gains and losses are occurring or where there's desire and where there's some sort of um, diminishment or relinquishment going on. So that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to handle it. And I'll try to explain it to you guys as we go. So uh, let's start with Aries Libra. Now, um, if you are born either Aries rising or Libra rising, this will be... Um, this will be for you because we're, we're simply taking the eclipses and flip-flopping them across the same axis. So fundamentally the first and seventh house access is um, all about, you know, what the rising place and the setting place. The rising place is associated most fundamentally in ancient astrology with the native. That means you. So your body, your psychology, your character, your health, Everything that is fundamentally you, body, soul, spirit, psychology, it is absolutely not a mask or a persona or like, you know, diet me or, you know, like, like light, light self, you know, no, fundamental self. Uh, so on, on all levels, again, body, mind, spirit, soul, whatever words we want to use, they were used by ancient astrologers, those very words. So <clears throat> when you have... If you're in Aries rising, you're getting the North Node eclipses in that house, which means an amplification of self, uh, of of whether it's ego, body, health, identity, psychology. The this is 
the amplification of those themes, the growth of those themes for better or worse, the development of those themes for better or worse. You're developing your body, you're developing your your identity in the world and psychologically you're developing. And with Marsy Aries stuff, it's going to be along the lines of risk-taking, you know, it's maybe a certain degree of like uh, assertiveness and, um, you know, the, the, the fiery nature of Aries and Mars, right? Now, if you flip this and we put Libra on the ascendant, then what we're talking about is an amplification of the themes uh, around or the, the, in the house of relationships, which means that individuating happens in and through relationships. Uh, whereas there may be some tend, there may be some need to diminish one's self. Now, that's an interesting pairing can actually go a lot of different ways. The South node Libra eclipses in the first house and the North node Aries eclipses in the seventh can be that your, your attention simply is shifting away from yourself and toward others. Um, now that could be a good or a bad thing. That's why it's misleading to say, well, the North node in the seventh means that relationships are where you're supposed to go. No, you could be self-deprecating and falling in love with someone who's a you know thoroughly individualist riding a Harley paying zero attention to you and that would be to um, your own detriment. That's just as possible with the south node in Libra in the first and the north node in Aries in the seventh. It's not like oh well you just need to go and find someone or and it's not even that all oh, your lessons lie in the seventh house. So maybe you were supposed to go follow the Harley guy and blah blah blah. I mean I guess you can you can certainly you can certainly say that everything in life has a, a sense of meaning and purpose behind it. I, I, don't, I don't mean to argue against that, but what I'm saying is that the South Node in the first house could be just as much the thing that you need to focus on. Oh wow, look at this pattern of self-deprecation I need to work on. It's different for every person depending on the chart, um, but the the point is that the access of self and other of um, of interconnected relationships. Uh, and of self-development is that tension is being um, pronounced with both Aries and Libra rising. Okay, so hopefully that gives you guys at least a starting point. Let's go on to Taurus and Scorpio. So we're going to now put Taurus on the ascendant. We'll just flip-flop this around. So this means that the eclipses are falling across the 6th and 12th house axis, and they'll be flip-flopped on either side. Now with Taurus rising, the Aries North Node in the 12th house could very much be about the way that Mars Aries themes are taking you off course. Remember that the 12th house was a blind spot that was often associated with self-destructiveness or malefic influences, whether it's through people or psychologically, that can kind of lead you astray or amplify your unconscious, uh, you know, the, the unconscious problem areas, let's call them. So could that North Node be seducing you into you know, uh, highly aggressive, but maybe self-damaging behaviors or patterns? Possibly. Uh, could it also be that some healthy degree of rebellion needs to happen and that, you know, going off course, deviating, wandering, exploring the unconscious through Mars-like themes or events or people or activities or, psych you know, the Mars psychology leads you meaningfully into an exploration of the unconscious I mean, so you see what I'm going? You can you can kind of go in a, a variety of different directions. Now, at the south node in the sixth house, I think what's interesting there is that there can be, um, you know, 
first of all, there can there could be a diminishment of concern or care or service for other people. Uh, the, the self-sacrificing care or concern for others that the Libra and sixth house implies could be diminished or pushed aside. Now, if you tend to do that kind of stuff to the degree that you become a martyr, well, then maybe that 12th house focus feels terrible. It feels, uh, you know, heretical to do, but it might be a good thing if you tend to be overly self-sacrificing, but it could feel awful and you could get kicked back to kind of do your own thing and go your own way. But if that's the blind spot in your unconscious, you're like, oh, you know, I struggle to be an individual apart from feeling like I, I really am obligated through duty and, you know, sort of, uh, moral sense of obligation to others and so forth. And, you know, then maybe that's the direction you need to go in because, because it's, it's the one that's unexplored. But on the other hand, could it be that you're, you know, blazing a trail of your own, like a maverick renegade, but it's happening as you directly neglect things that need more touch and care and concern and involvement socially or care and service socially. You see what I mean? So you can, and then you can flip-flop and those themes, if you're a Scorpio rising, be, can become reversed. Um, so, in, and that's why, you know, really if, to me, it's like the, the most fundamental thing is if you understand the tensions across the houses, given the signs, it, it really isn't that important that you, you, um, the themes will will cross over one another so that the description for Scorpio and Taurus is almost identical at the end of the day. Um, okay, so well, if you see, if you were to see, for example, North Node um, in this case is in, or South Node is in Libra in the twelfth house, then the blind spot that you're, uh, you know, maybe again, it could be something about relationships and what. Uh, the unconscious dimensions of relationships in your life and the need to, again, Aries North node and in, in the sixth house, the, 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 the countervailing tendency to go in your own direction and um, work from a sense of uh, often with Marsy sixth house, it's like a sense of mission and purpose that's more individualistic or independent. So you see what I mean? But it's basically the same set of themes. Every, and you find this across every single house axis. So um, that's what to watch for if you're a Taurus or Scorpio. Let's go to Gemini and Sagittarius. So if you're Gemini Sagittarius, this is going to fall across the fifth and the ninth house. Now, uh, so, you know, you got, let's say you've got the North Node in the 11th house this feeling of um, needing to march to the beat of your own drum, highly independent individual pioneering energies with the North Node in Aries taking place in a house that has a lot to do with friends, groups, allies, and other people in your life. So could that be the individuation impulse coming through socially, professionally, among groups you belong to? And is that a good thing because you need to differentiate? Or is that a bad thing where you're, you know, you're becoming you're creating conflict for yourself by not being diplomatic enough. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's not just, oh yes, it's the North Node, so go do that because that's what you need to do. They, they're, they're, it's like a river running through your chart, but it's the current can reverse and the, the current can push in one direction and then at other times it flows in the opposite direction. And it'll do that back and forth throughout your whole life. So it's not best, it's really not good to think about like North Node, go do that, that's the good thing. And South Node, be careful of, don't do that, that's the bad thing. Now, um, anyway, so 
Now, south node of the moon in the fifth house uh, could be, for example, that there's that your joy, your pleasure, your happiness is de overly dependent upon other people or what other people think or want or feel, or that the, the social reality of your life is overly conditioning your creative uh, output. Like who I am creatively is overly determined or bound up in, you know, what other people, um, what other people think or find beautiful or attractive. And I'm overly concerned about that. And so I need to go march to the beat of my own drum. Like that'd be one way of putting it. The opposite way though, would be that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're losing too much of a sense of what other people value or how joy is rooted in um, social cohesion. Like a big part of your happiness is going to be socially determined and, and, you know, wrapped up in other human beings. So if you neglect that too much, there could be a sense of, you know, like diminishing those things. On the other hand, you could also say that the South node in the fifth house is about, you know, well, I'm going to, I need to actually let go of some of the ways in which I have um, defined my joy or creativity socially. And um, I need to let go or diminish some of those things, right? So it's, it's there, the nodes are super relative in that respect. And if you flip flop it, it's basically the it's exact same set of themes uh, because it's the same, it's the same topics of the, of the houses and reverse, they can produce the same exact uh, like, um, the same exact catch 22s. <laughs> so, so like, uh, again, if you were to put the North node in Libra in the 11th house or the South node in Libra in the 11th house, uh, maybe there's something about your social life that you are, um, uh, unintelligently or let's say impulsively, uh, casting aside in favor of some more selfish, uh, creative ambitions or the pursuit of pleasure that is much more hot-headed. In that case, the North Node in the Fifth is not necessarily your friend. Um, but the South Node in the Eleventh could also be, you know, again, just the opposite. Maybe you do need to set aside some of the ways in which you've been socially conditioned so that you can follow your bliss more creatively and independently. Do you see what I mean? So again, same set of themes in, can go in either direction and the North node can be problematic or it can be helpful and it can be both at different times. So those are the themes to watch for. All right, Cancer Capricorn. Uh, so when we move Cancer Capricorn onto the Ascendant, we take the axis across the 10th and 4th. And so um, ambition uh, at home, in the private sphere of life, and ambition uh, and individuation in the public sphere of life. Um, those two things are sort of pitted against one another, as is the reality of your family or home life uh, as a social um, niche, or your professional life as a reflection of broader social concerns or values. So, the same question about independence versus harmony of um, will versus, uh, you know, receptivity and connection with others. Those tensions are playing out across the axis of public reputation, identity, workplace, professional ambitions, and private sphere of life, home, family, resting place, roots, uh, family karma, and so forth. So, the North node in the 10th house is not just purely good. You could be diminishing the um, importance of the social and familial fabric of your life 
because you're getting hot headed and sort of lusty after, uh, you know, accomplishment, achievement, power and strength professionally, just as much as if you were to flip it and you get ambitious about, you know, the fourth house, let's say um, home, family and the private sphere of life becomes something that uh, you're you are driven to act upon. I want a new house or I'm going to build an addition or I'm just thinking of new. I'm going to have a child or get married. And these things are a part of me feeling strong and doing something new, right? But at the same time, you could be completely neglecting, you know, your own sense of uh, calling or purpose professionally. You see, you see what I mean? So just remember, again, all through all of these, what I'm trying to repeat is that it is relative. And the, these these this axis can flip-flop. It's like a river that flows in one direction and can start flowing in another direction, especially because we also get solar and lunar eclipses back and forth across the axis. So that's why it's easy to pair them together. Cancer Capricorn are basically dealing with the same themes because you're going to see the river flowing in both directions and amplifying the same set of tensions. All right. Um, let's go to Leo Aquarius. So with Leo Aquarius, the we're talking now about the ninth and third houses, really an axis of the mind, of beliefs, of learning, intelligence, education, sometimes travel. And so, you know, the North Node in the North Node eclipses with Aries in the ninth, if you're a Leo rising, could very well be about um, the, you know, spiritual, intellectual ambition. I want to learn. I want to teach. I want to travel. I want to... Uh, you know, strong, maybe impulsive, uh, uh, pioneering actions around the development of your beliefs, the strength of your convictions, the the depth of your knowledge, and this kind of fiery sense of needing to move forward in that area of life. And with, but sometimes, you know, that's problematic because you may be a zealot or you might becoming, you might be getting fanatical about something, or you could be, you know, on like the, um, on a crusade of some kind that's actually disturbing the peace, the neglecting, the potential diminishment for a rational, balanced, harmonious mind state depicted by the South Node in the third could certainly be problematic. So it's not like the North Node is just unanimously good in the ninth house. But on the other hand, if you tend to overthink things and are you're, you're just totally diplomatic about everything, um, maybe sort of PC and walking on eggshells all the time and just sure never to be offensive and like that, the North Node in the ninth might be, no, you need to act on the strength of your own convictions, even if you tip the scales and even if it pisses other people off. Or do you see what I mean? So the North, North Node in the ninth could very well be some, some positive, uh, you know, set of lessons or learning that needs to happen. And the South Node could be something that you're hung up on, but it can go in either direction. And the river flows in both ways um, as, as it goes along, as the eclipses go along. Remember, solar and lunar eclipses repeating back and forth, back and forth. So it doesn't really matter if you're a Leo rising or an Aquarius rising. I mean, you'll notice the nuance differences between the two with the orientation flipped, but the same basic set of themes will be coming up. You know, the diplomatic, harmonious mind, concerned with environment, carefully keeping and attending to relationships that uh, are the social fabric of your life culturally or intellectually or whatever, and then the need to step out, stand out, think alone, go it alone, power of convictions, maybe even combative at times, those tensions intellectually, mentally, spiritually, uh, they are present for both Leo and Aquarius risings. 
Okay, now we go to Virgo Pisces. And uh, with Virgo Pisces, the access falls across the second and eighth house. So these are the financial houses. And again, North Node in the eighth house, it could be about joining with someone else, someone else's resources, someone else's esteem, someone else's power, someone else's abilities are attractive to you or are offered to you or are compelling you in some way. Uh, the need to be free or independent of debts or obligations to other people, very Aries North Node in the eighth house. All right, so those things could be growing for better or worse. Problematically, if, for example, the more balanced, careful, harmonious perspective keeps your own resources, your own abilities, your own needs, your own money in mind, but you're abandoning it all because look at what that person has or look at what this person can give me. Well, then the North Node wouldn't exactly be your friend in the eighth house. The South Node in the second might be calling your attention back to an embodied place where you are self-sufficient and have your own resources and so forth. But it can also flip. So, you know, maybe the North Node is in the second house uh, and if you're a Pisces rising and the South Node's in the eighth house, in which case I need to develop my own resources. I need to be self-sufficient. And you need to, you're going to see diminishment in terms of codependent dynamics around money or resources or approval or things like that. But that could be problematic as well. North node in the second house, I'm going to do my own thing. I am self-sufficient. And uh, that's happening at the cost of, uh, you know, losing sight of or neglecting, abandoning or, or um being deprived of important resources and connections that come from other people because you're just hell bent on being so strong and independent around, especially around things like money, finances, energy, resources, things like that. So that's how it goes. And it can, so you have to pay attention to both sets of themes. And these are the kinds of themes <clears throat> that I would see playing out for Virgo Pisces access. Okay, we got through it. Um, hopefully that makes sense to everybody. Um, you're able to follow that get a little bit of like a history and philosophy lesson around the nodes of the moon um, and why we can read them relatively and um, how, you know, kind of wide open the interpretation of the nodes is through these house, through the sets of houses. Um, this leads me to ask you guys for some stories. Um, use the hashtag grabbed or email us grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. Tell us a story about the nodes of the moon in your chart and tell us how you have seen them play out in terms of the themes that they've brought up, the patterns that have been recurring around the houses that they fall in, especially if you can show us how the north node has sometimes been you know, beneficial, sometimes problematic. The south node, sometimes beneficial, sometimes problematic. If you work the nodes like that, you'll be closer to understanding the relative way that both fortune and the nodes of the moon and eclipses were looked at by ancient astrologers in general. So I hope that uh, this was enjoyable today. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We have the Tao Te Ching for astrologers tomorrow that we'll continue on with. Don't forget our Kickstarter is rolling on. We are just at the 500 backer mark. We're trying to get to 1,608 by the new year. Everything helps. A $5 donation, a dollar donation, $10, $15. And if you want to donate more, you can pick out rewards that we have for you as well. Readings, talks, uh, big discounts on my classes. So don't miss out on that. Thank you guys so much for supporting the work. We'll see you again tomorrow. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.